Pastor Dwight uh, opened our Praise Is series last week, and I kind of want to um, start where he left off in a way. Uh, one of the things that uh, Pastor Dwight uh, mentioned in his sermon was a specific song called Raise a Hallelujah. And I want to just read a couple of lines from that song that really accentuate what I want to talk about this morning. And so we're going to take a look at uh, a couple of those. So if you want, hold your finger at Acts chapter 16, verses 23 through 28. And uh, we're going to take a look at the screen. And this is really where I'm going with the sermon this morning. So go ahead and hit that slide. It says, I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. I raise a hallelujah and heaven comes to fight for me. That is not a cute line. That is actually a biblical principle. That your melody, your song, literally is a weapon. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. And the reason why I want to talk from this topic, praise is a weapon, is because if you actually take a look at Scripture time and time again, you will find that when the people of God praise Him, it impacts the situation that they are in. Praise is a powerful weapon that you can use to fight the enemy with. And so we're going to take a look at that, beginning in Acts chapter 16. Before we even go to Acts chapter 16, I love that Abby opened up with Jehoshaphat. I, uh, from 2 Chronicles 20, I believe, uh, she was talking about reading it in her devotional this morning. I was going through my message this morning, and I cut that portion out of my message, and then she brings it up. So obviously, God, I missed it. God, God wanted to accentuate that. But you know, the amazing thing is this, is that in 2 Chronicles 20, when Jehoshaphat does what he does, where he sends the worshipers out onto the battlefield beforehand, God didn't tell him to do that. God said, you go out on the battlefield, and I'll fight the battle for you. He didn't tell him to do that. That was Jehoshaphat's choice to bring out the worshipers. And it was out of his heart to say, you know what? If you're going to fight this for me, I'm going to glorify you before we fight or before you fight. And this is the amazing thing, though. It says that as they worshiped, God set ambushes. So God doing what he, he did and actually the way he fought was in reaction to the worship that was brought forth. He would have fought the fight however he wanted to fight, but the way he fought was related to the worship that was brought forth. And this is the amazing thing. Only eternity will show us how many fights we never had to engage in because of the worship we brought forth. If you don't think praise is powerful, we will get to heaven and we will be able to look back and see how many battles God fought on our behalf because of a praise service on a Sunday morning that we, we came in and we're like, ah, I'm just going to give a little offering. Whether it's an offering or a sacrifice, give God praise. Because there are, fat, there are battles that you will show up for that all you have to do is show up for. Can you imagine all the Israelites in their armor like, why are we even here? It said that they, they, they crossed over the crest of a hill and they saw the entire enemy slayed. And they're like, why did we even show up today? Hindsight revealed that God set the ambushes because of the worship. But they didn't know that. 
So don't ever underestimate the power of your praise being a weapon where God will fight in a battle on your behalf that you'll never experience because of the praise you gave him. See, we have the beauty of the hindsight of looking back on the story to see that God reacted to the worship by setting ambushes. And so in Acts chapter 16, you know, there was a quote as I was preparing that I don't even know who said this, but I love it. It says, when you enter his presence with praise, he enters your circumstance with power. How many of you have ever experienced the power of God come because of the praise service or the praise that you offered to the Lord? This is what Jesus does. He is drawn to the praise that you give. And so in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are on a missionary journey and they travel to Philippi, which was a major Greek city or city in the Roman Empire. At this time, it's a, a crossway city, a lot of traffic. It's a, a business city that people travel through and trade and sell and buy. And they're in this city, and later on, we know that Paul writes the letter to the Philippians. So obviously, he was a little successful in planting a church in Philippi. And so this is the city that he's at. Now, he's in this city, and it says over the course of several days, Paul and Silas are, are walking around ministering, and they're followed by a demon-possessed girl that's doing for, fortune-telling. And she is following them, and this is what I love. This demon-possessed girl is sharing the gospel. She says, these men are servants of the most high God. They are telling you the way to be saved. See, even demons know. Even, even demons know. And so Paul is going and she's, it says that she's relentlessly shouting this. And Paul finally gets to the point that he can't tolerate it anymore. And out of sheer annoyance, he rebukes the demon and casts the demon out. And so... The problem with that is, although a girl is set free, this young, demon-possessed fortune teller's slave owners are now frustrated because they just lost business. And so they apprehend Paul and Silas, drag them to the officials, the Roman you know, officials in the city, and they start to level false accusations against them that they are bringing the city into an uproar and they're causing all this stirring and causing all of these fights and all this stuff. And that's where we are in Acts chapter 16, verse 23. And it says this in verse 23, after they were severely beaten. Now let me talk about that for a minute because I'm a history nerd. The Jews would beat you up to 39 lashes. The Romans had no rule. It was until I feel like I'm done. So in 2 Corinthians, or I think it's actually yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul describes the types of beating as this, as stripes beyond measure. This is the type of beating that Paul and Silas have taken. They've been apprehended. It says they were stripped and they're beaten until the Romans feel like they're done. It's not until 39. It's till whenever we feel like it. So this is where what Paul and Silas are experiencing. It says after they were severely beaten, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them securely. Verse 24. So the jailer placed them in the innermost cell of the prison. Now, that's really interesting. That was the cell, that was the deepest cell within the prison. 
It was the prison within the prison. That's where they threw the most severe criminals. Now, the interesting thing is this, though. That word has a dual meaning. Inner. Innermost prison. Or innermost cell. Because how many of you know that Luke is writing Acts? So Luke, in recording Acts, he gets to determine what types of adjectives are used to describe the circumstances, events, things that are happening. So he says that Paul and Silas were thrown into the innermost cell. Now, on the outside, in English, you're just thinking that's like the deepest point of the prison. But the word inner there means something entirely different. It doesn't mean the deepest cell. Now, once again, Luke is describing this circumstance. That word inner there is esoterios. And this is what it means. It means the place beyond the veil. So Paul and Silas are in prison, but Luke describes their circumstances as if they were behind the veil right in the presence of the Lord. See, he could have described it just as the deepest part of the prison. But he literally says that as they were in the innermost prison, it was as if they were behind the veil. You know what that tells me? It doesn't matter where you are. The veil is gone, y'all. The veil is removed. So you can take an innermost prison cell and make it the place behind the veil. This is what Paul and Silas are in. It says that the jailer placed them in the innermost cell of the prison and had their feet bound and chained. The, the New American Standard says that they were bound in stocks. Let me tell you what the stocks were. Have you ever seen pictures of stocks? Some, you know, there's a lot of pictures that talk about the medieval times, but let me tell you about the Roman stocks. The Roman stocks were testing your flexibility. They weren't straight away. They were actually spread out on purpose and you were forced into it to cause you more pain as you're in them. It says this, that Roman stocks were not only made to keep one from escape, but were made with holes wide enough apart so as to stretch the legs and bruise the feet to cause great pain and injury. So not only have they been beaten so severely beyond the Romans' point of counting, but now they're in these stocks that are text testing their flexibility. Y'all, I can't touch my feet right now <laughs> unless I bend my knees. So that would have been severely painful. And this is where Paul and Silas are, and Luke describes their circumstance as if they were behind the veil. It says in verse 25, Paul and Silas, undaunted, prayed in the middle of the night and sang songs of praise to God. Turn to somebody and say, whatever you're going through, praise him anyway. This is what Paul and Silas were doing. Praise him anyway. Whatever you're going through, praise him anyway. It says they sang songs of praise to God while all the other prisoners listened to their worship. Let me tell you something. Paul and Silas didn't praise God because they were delivered. They praised him in the middle of something that probably a lot of us would have wanted to be delivered from. 
How many of you have ever been through something and you, the praising God has been the last thing you've wanted to do because you haven't gotten relief? This is where Paul and Silas are. They're right in the middle of it. And many of us, if we were honest, probably would have said, you know what, God, I'm going to put a condition on this. If you don't get me out of this, I'm, I, can't, I can't do it. But this is where Paul and Silas are. They're in the middle of what a lot of people would have asked God to deliver them from, and they're still singing songs. I wonder what they were singing. They didn't have what a beautiful name. They didn't have I exalt thee. But you know we can actually figure out what they sang. If you look up that original word, that Greek word about them singing songs, it's the Greek word hymneo. It's where we get the English word hymn from. And this is exciting. That word is specifically referencing that they sang Psalms chapters 113 through 118. These songs were what Jews called the Hallel Psalms. These were songs that Jesus sang with the disciples the night of the Passover. And so what I want you to understand is we get to get a glimpse of what Paul and Silas were praising God with when we look at Psalms chapter 113 through 118. So I want to, just for a moment, I want to take, I read through these chapters, I just, I just picked out a couple of different things that if you were in the other cell, you would have heard Paul and Silas singing that night. In Psalms chapter 113, um, verse uh, 3 through 5, it says, from sunrise brilliance to sunset beauty, lift up his praise from dawn to dusk. For he rules on high over the nations with a glory that outshines even the heavens. No one can be compared to God enthroned on high. Paul, would have, Paul and Silas would have sang that in the middle of what they were going through. Psalms 114 verses 1 through 7. Listen, they're currently imprisoned and listen to what they're singing. Many years ago, the Jewish people escaped Egypt's tyranny so that Israel, God's people of praise, would become his holy sanctuary, his kingdom on the earth. The Red Sea, see, they're reminding themselves of deliverance as they're not being delivered yet. Verse 3, it says that the Red Sea water saw them coming and ran the other way. Then later, see, they're edifying themselves together. Then, the, then later, the Jordan River, too, moved aside so that they could all pass through. through. Verse 4, the land shuddered with fear. Mountains and hills shook with dread. O oh, sea, what happened to you to make you flee? O oh, Jordan, what was it that made you turn and run? O oh, mountains, what frightened you so? Now listen to this, because if you know the story, what they sing next becomes a reality. And you hills... What made you shiver? Tremble, O earth, for you are in the presence of the Lord, the God of Jacob. Listen, they are declaring who God is in the middle of not experiencing deliverance yet. How many of you know that in Acts 16, we read later that the earth began to tremble? Was it at the point that they sang this? In the presence of the Lord, O earth, you tremble. Psalms chapter 1 through 15, 2 through 3, where they're surrounded by other criminals. Now listen to what this says. Why should the unbelievers mock us, saying, where is this God of yours? But we know, in the middle of the stocks, 
and being beaten severely. But we know our God rules from the heavens and he takes delight in all that he does. Look at Psalms 115. Dead people cannot praise the Lord, but we can. Those who sink to the silence of the grave can no longer give glory to God, but we can. So today, as we are beaten severely and in stocks, let's praise the Lord. Let's begin now and let it go on until eternity is done. Hallelujah! And praise the Lord. Psalms 116, 10 and 11. Even when it seems I'm surrounded by many liars in my own fears, and though I'm hurting in my suffering and trauma, I still stay faithful to God and speak words of faith. This is what they were singing that day, that evening. Psalms 118, I have found the gateway to God. Pastor Dwight talked about the gateway last week. You find it yet? I have found the gateway to God, the pathway to his presence for all his lovers. I will offer all my loving praise to you, and I thank you so much for answering my prayer and bringing me salvation. These were things that Paul and Silas were intermingling with prayer and praise that night. Now, the other thing about the Halal Psalms, this is another note, is that Psalms 113 through 115 were often sang before a meal, and Psalms 116 to 118 were often sang after a meal. This is a Jewish custom and tradition. So what you need to understand about that, how many of you know that you sit at a table when you eat a meal? David said in Psalms 23, 5, listen to what it says. Look at it at the screen. He said, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. They are literally in prison, but their experience, they are singing the same songs that they would have sang at a meal, the same songs that Jesus sang with all of his disciples at that meal, at that Last Supper. They are declaring these songs. You know why? Because they want God to turn their trial into a table. And so I don't know if they're saying them as declarations. God, even in the presence of my enemies, even in the middle of this cell, will you set up a table for me in the presence of my enemies? I don't know if they were declaring that because they wanted God to do it, or they were singing it because it was what they were experiencing in the prison. That even in the middle of the prison, it is as if they are sitting at a table in the presence of their enemies, and their cup is overflowing. You know what I love? There's another uh, 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 Christian writer from about 150 A.D., and this is what he said. He said, even the limbs in stocks feel nothing when the mind is in heaven. From personal experience. Even the limbs that are in stocks feel nothing when the mind is in heaven. This is what Paul and Silas are doing in this prison cell. See, as they worshiped Jesus, Jesus was turning their trial into his table. In the midst of all the pain, all the agony, all the fear, all the suffering, all the worry, Paul and Silas are making the choice to praise him. So it goes on, and we see, as they praised God, they were ascending from one realm to another. This is where Paul and Silas... We're in, in the midst of all, we see verse 26. 
suddenly. Somebody say suddenly. suddenly. You know, suddenlies are a natural byproduct of what happens when you praise the Lord. It says suddenly a great earthquake shook the foundations of the prison. You remember that psalm they were singing? And all at once, every prison door flung open and the chains of all the prisoners came loose. Startled, the jailer awoke and saw every cell door standing open. Assuming that all the prisoners had escaped, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself. When Paul shouted in the darkness, stop, don't hurt yourself, we're all still here. How many of you see that in the middle of that circumstance, all Paul and Silas could do was praise the, God, praise the Lord. But that praise was a weapon in the middle of their circumstance. See, Paul and Silas show us that it's literally possible for you and I to sing ourselves out of a stronghold. You can sing yourself out of a stronghold? This is what happened with Paul and Silas. Because praise invites God to exercise his power and dominion in your situation. See, it's an invitation. It's not just, we're just going to sing these songs. You don't understand the power of praise and that God is so drawn to it. It's an invitation when his people lift him up in praise for him to exercise dominion and authority in the situation that you're going through. This is what Paul and Silas showed us, that we can literally sing ourselves out of a stronghold. Turn with me to Josh, Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. Is anybody with me this morning? Amen. Joshua and the Israelites have crossed over the Jordan River, and they are about, they are on a conquest of Canaan. They are on the cusp of entering into the promised land, entering into the land that God said that they would, they would possess. And their first fortification, or not the first fortification, but the primary fortification that they have to uh, fight against is Jericho. The thing about Jericho was Jericho was uh, basically if you took Jericho, the rest of the, the, the uh, conquest was going to be easy. It was like the, it was like the, the, the most um, intimidating uh, fortification that they were going to encounter in the promised land. And so it says in Joshua chapter 6, 1, that Joshua is spying out Jericho. And it says, out of nowhere, it says that the captain of the armies of the Lord stands before him with a sword. Now, if you know anything about Old Testament situations like this, this is called a theophany. It's when God appears, God appears in the Old Testament. So, Yeshua is standing across from Yeshua. Joshua is standing across from Jesus. Now, why would I say that? Because Joshua literally gets on his face when this, this, uh, this uh, angel of the Lord, which is Jesus, appears before him, and he bows down and worships him, and he says, he asks him, he says, what do you want? And he says, take your shoes off because this is holy ground. Remember when uh, Moses uh, was around the burning bush? No different. So Jesus has a sword, and he's ready to fight against Jericho. 
And Joshua says, what do you want me to do? And he says, look at Jericho. He says, Jericho is shut up up because of you, Israel. Do you ever wonder if your opposition is affirmation of your anointing? Israel or Jericho had set up and had built themselves up and had fortified themselves beyond what was normal because of Israel. And so Joshua is standing here with, with Jesus, and they're having a conversation. It says Jericho was tightly shut up because of the sons of Israel. It was tightly shut up because of the sons of Israel. No one went out, and no one came in. And it says, the Lord says to Joshua, look at how shut up they are. That should be a sign to you that I've already given them into your hand with its king and its valiant, valiant warriors. So Joshua, or Jesus, gives Joshua the game plan. He said, it shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up every man straight ahead. We, if you've grown up in church, you've seen this story before. Do you realize how crazy this is? Get up in all of your armor and just march around the city. March around the city. Don't even, that, there, was a, there was parts of that marching where they weren't even supposed to make a sound. And can you imagine the people of Jericho like, what are they doing? They're just, they're marching? Where's the arrows at? Where's the chariots? And they're just marching around the city, and, the, and the, the priests are up at the front. They've got the ark, and they're just march, marching around Jesus. The, Jesus tells Joshua, when I tell you to have the people shout, have them shout. And so they're marching around, they're marching around, and it says, at, uh, verse 16, at the seventh time, when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now, it's important for us to understand what that shout was. Because some of us feel like if we raise our voice in a conflict, that's going to lead to victory. Shouting in your situation does nothing. I've learned this with my children. And I'm still learning it. People get, you ever notice people get in arguments and they just escalate? They just shout louder, and they think that shouting louder will be the solution to the issue. The power is not in shouting. The power was in who they were shouting to. And so the Israelites are here, and he says, lift up a voice or lift up a shout. See, this shout, though, is the Hebrew word ruah, and this is what it means. It says it means to make a joyful noise. Shout in triumph. Shout in applause. How many of these Israelites, when Joshua says, it's time to shout, they're giving God a standing ovation around Jericho. They're clapping their hands. They're shouting, hallelujah. They are raising a hallelujah around 
Jericho, and they are acting as if they won. Can you imagine the, pe- the sh- soldiers on the wall of Jericho? And they're like, <laughs> they're just shouting, whoa. <laughs> this is what happened. They're just up there like, what are they doing? Who are they talking? Did you feel that? This is what happened. They shouted a wall down, but it wasn't because of their shout. It was because of who they were shouting to. This is what this shows us. Listen, Psalms 95 too. That same word ruah is used here. Let us come before his presence. Remember, an invitation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him. So their shout of praise was an invitation for someone they knew to arrive over Jericho. This is the power of praise. In verse uh, 20, it goes on to say, So the people shouted, and priests blew the trumpets. And when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. Praise is a weapon. You can shout yourself out of a stronghold and you can shout yourself out of the opposition of spiritual barriers in your life. If you want to continue, you can look at 2 Chronicles 20. Abby already mentioned that. If I could have the worship team come forward. Now listen. Now, Paul and Silas shouted themselves out of a stronghold The Israelites shouted a wall down. So what is it about praise that makes it a weapon? See, I want you to understand that in 1 Kings 17 or 18, when Elijah was fighting the prophets of Baal, how many of you know that the prophets of Baal had a lot of shouting going on? And it meant nothing. The shouting meant nothing. It's not about your shout. It's about who you're shouting to. Now listen, the power is not in the act of praise, but who is invited into our situation as a result of it. Psalms chapter 22, verse 3, David wrote, he said, you are the God that sits enthroned on the praises of your people. Our praise is not powerful because we are singing or shouting. Our praise is powerful because it builds God's throne on the situations and the circumstances that we're going through. See, when I was growing up in this church, I remember a song that said, As we worship, build his throne. As we worship, build his throne. Come, Lord Jesus, and take your place. David knew this. He said, you sit enthroned on the praises of your people. So as we build a throne of praise in the middle of our situations and circumstances, we are actually building his throne and throne room over our situations. If God would not come and sit on our praise, our praise would not mean anything. The power of our praise is who gets invited and whose throne is built on it. And so what Paul and Silas knew, 
I can build his throne over this prison cell. What Joshua knew is I don't care about your city. I can build his throne over this city. There's nothing that can prevent his throne being built if those people of praise will raise their voices and lift up a praise to him. The power is not in the shout. The power is not in the praise. It's who you're inviting and whose throne you're building. And the truth is this, is a lot of times the reason why we do not praise him is because we're sitting on a throne. You can't build a throne if you're sitting on one. You can't do it. You have to get off your throne and say, I will become even more undignified than this. You know why people don't praise? Because they're not hungry. They're not desperate. But when you've seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, you will lift up a shout. You will praise him. You will do all that. It doesn't matter. I'm not praising just to raise my voice. I'm losing my voice right now. It don't matter. I can whisper. I can whisper his throne into the room. I remember on, in 2007 when I was on my honeymoon, we had tonsillitis, pharyngitis. I had a double ear infection and a sinus infection. Thanks, devil. <laughs> but you know what? I remember the Saturday we had a, a long day at sea. And I will tell you this. I got up in the morning, and I went out, and it was 5 o'clock in the morning. And I said, devil, you're not going to prevent me from praising him. I couldn't even, I couldn't even talk. But I was voiceless worshiping the Lord on, the top of, on, the, on that crucifix. You know why? Because I'm building his throne over this situation. And do you understand that now that the veil is removed, do you know that the enemy knows the power of your praise? Do you know that now that the veil is removed, you don't have to go somewhere to see the throne. You can build it. So it doesn't matter what you're going through. You can make a Paul and Silas decision and choose to build his throne in your prison, in your affliction, in your circumstances, in your situation, over your struggling marriage, over your finances, over your kids that are lost. It doesn't matter. You can build his throne wherever you are. You can build his throne in your workplace. And I'm telling you that if you build a throne, God will sit on it. But he can't sit on something you don't build. And a lot of times, you know what happens in a, in a worship setting, in a praise setting, is the person next to you may be building a throne, and you're like, why are they crying? Why are they shaking? Why are they having an encounter with the Lord? Are you building one? Are you watching someone build one? It's amazing how we can be in a corporate praise setting, and I can look over and see someone having an encounter with the Lord, and I'm not having one. And then I need to check, am I building one or am I sitting on one? Because maybe I need to get off of it so that I can build his because he's worthy. Amen. Listen to what David said about what happens in Psalms 97. His throne of glory rests upon a foundation of righteousness and justice. All around him burns a blazing glory fire consuming all of his foes. You got enemies? Build his throne. When his lightning strikes, it lights up the world. People are wide-eyed as they tremble and shake. Mountains, the hills melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. Wherever you build his throne, there's a throne room. So you are literally drawing heaven into your situation. You know the reason why all of the prison doors 
came unlocked, not just Paul and Silas's, because they drew heaven, and in heaven, there's no bondage. In heaven, there's no prison doors. It was impossible for those doors to remain locked because Paul and Silas in their prison cell drew heaven into their place and God sat on it and the the locks couldn't remain shut. You can build his throne over a city, over a prison cell, over any situation and circumstance that you're going through. See, our praise is a weapon because it builds God's throne and invites God to sit enthroned and execute his sovereign power in our situations. As I was praying, this is what the Lord said. This is what I, God, I don't know for you, he's not complicated. He speaks really simply. And when I was preparing this, this is what the Lord just, this phrase kept on running through my, my, my mind. And God was like, just build my throne. Whatever you're going through, whatever situation you're going through, just build my throne. Leave the results to me. You know, Joshua or Jesus showed up with the sword and he was ready. Do you know that when God's throne gets built, even walls have knees? It said that the walls fell flat. They didn't fall like this. They fell like a ramp. Jericho was on a hill. The walls, as they shouted, fell forward to become a ramp so Israel could run into the city. You know why? Because when the presence of God comes, even walls have knees. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. In the presence of the Lord, there are things that will be forced to their knees because of the throne that you're building. Just build his throne. And I'm going to say this as we, will you stand with me? This is the last thing I'll say. I do not praise God so that I can treat him like a genie in a bottle so that he can build his throne and do things on my behalf. So I will not prostitute my praise to get something from him. I just praise him because he's worthy. So with all that being said, in the same breath, I will not deny the byproduct of what, ho- what happens when his throne is built. But I'm not building it so that a wall can fall. I'm building it because he's worthy. So this morning as we close, let's enthrone him on our praises just because he's worthy. But out there, Whatever you're going through, just build his throne. Amen? Let's worship the Lord.